All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? What's what's going on? How are we doing? I am, uh, I'm okay. I just got three boxes of COVID tests. And I don't know why that's so exciting to me. I got three boxes of COVID tests to have so I can test myself before I go to a, uh, on the road, before I go to a club so I could know uh, if I'm the one who's not safe and I could cop to it. I could just not test and just be like, well, what if I am one of those people who has it and may symptomatic, but still spread it? Well, I, uh, I don't want to be that guy. So I, I bought a few boxes online. I guess there's sort of a run on these tests right now, but I got a few for the at-home antigen test, which seemed, seemed pretty effective, uh, certainly with the negative result. Uh, so I just did that today because I'm going to Denver today and um, negative. And I've actually asked the club in Denver to only allow, and I'm probably going to do this with, with my other shows as well, if possible. I can't confirm that, but I do know that tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday at the Comedy Works in Denver are, are proof of vac shows. Uh, I, I feel better with that. It's really a concern for public health. Massive vaccinations have saved thousands, millions of lives since vaccinations were created. Almost everybody alive was vaccinated for polio, measles, tuberculosis, uh, chicken pox. You know, I got a, I recently got a shingles vaccine. I don't, I'm not, I'll get all the vaccines. I'm more afraid of stevia, to be honest. Where's the paperwork on stevia? But again, you're free to fight for your right to die like a moron and remain unvaccinated. But I think businesses and people who want to get back to life need some confidence in the safety of the situation. And if you want to be the guy that's like, fuck you. Well, it, it seems that, you know, personal safety and money seem more important than your state, your statement, just because you're nihilistic and don't care about your personal safety or believe that you're above and beyond it. Uh, all right. Fight your fight. You just won't. I can't let you in the show. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. A.O. Scott is on the show today. A.O. Scott is the film critic at the New York Times. But I just recently started reading a book that he wrote years ago called Better Living Through Criticism, How to Think About Art, Pleasure, Beauty, and Truth. And I'm like, why can't I talk to this guy? I want to see if I can hold my own with A.O. Scott. It's weird. I don't read a lot of film criticism. I don't read a lot of criticism in general because, I don't know, I guess I have finally gotten comfortable with uh the way i see things based on what i know and and making certain connections you know i i do read some criticism after the fact or i do talk to people uh who i trust and respect their intelligence about things to sort of move the ideas forward and and see new things that i didn't see but at some point i had to become comfortable and confident with my own brain because to be honest with you when I was in high school, one of my heroes was a guy named Gus Blaisdell who owned a, a bookstore across from the university. And I worked a, at a bagel place uh, along the Central Avenue on Route 66 across from UNM. And Gus Blaisdell was a, sort of a mentor hero of mine. He, I annoyed him, but he, he uh, made time for me. And he was like a real intellectual, you know, well-sourced. You know, intellectuals, real intellectuals, not faux intellectuals, are, are usually, you know, fairly well-read They've built a firm bedrock of reference 
to uh, to to engage their opinions and to move forward through life uh, as an intellectual. You know, they, it's all about the point of reference and not just the word or the title, but the understanding of movements in history. History is another thing. But I always felt I was sort of a faux intellectual, but I always aspired to it. But I didn't have the discipline really to become to do the reading necessarily. But I knew I was relatively smart, so I, I studied film criticism as a minor in college. But, but I, never, I never really could wrap my brain around criticism. Yeah, I'm getting better at critical thinking. I'm not by nature a critical thinker. I have to apply it. I'm a reactionary thinker. I react emotionally. But I, a lot of times I can kind of nail it. Uh, for myself and sometimes for others. I mean, I don't know. You hear me talking, but I've always been jealous of the idea that someone is a thorough intellectual and a a bona fide critic, not reviewer, a cultural critic, a film critic. They have to be well sourced. You know, a critic's job is to see something and then to to kind of break it down, put it into a context, and maybe even move the understanding of what they're criticizing further along. Now, I wanted to understand cultural criticism. I've tried to read Northrop Fry. I've tried to read Walter Benjamin. Is that how you say it? I've tried to. Uh, there are people that I can read and that are readable. H.L. Mencken comes to mind as well, who, who was definitely readable. Um, Hunter S. Thompson to a certain degree. But 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 I never I, I was always felt insecure in these conversations that I just never know enough. And I still kind of feel like that. But lately, as an old man who's been through a lot of stuff and seen a lot of stuff and read a lot of things, but maybe not studied enough, I do all right. And, you know, sometimes I nail it. Sometimes I say and think things and then I see a, someone I respect writing about it in a similar way. I'm like, ah, I got it. I got it. Nonetheless. Having gotten into this book of uh, A.O. Scott's, it's almost like a primer on how to engage with art. So over the last few weeks since I saw the movie Pig and watched uh, every episode of Underground Railroad and have been spending a lot of time with the work of Sterling Harjo, a Native American, you know, it's, it's very easy to start thinking like, what power does art have? And there's something about expression, about vulnerability, about the connection to the the human heart and the community heart through art that means something. And I and and, and oddly, I didn't think I I was really this guy. I think I'd gotten cynical, but I believe that's the key to us moving forward: is respecting the creative voices and voices in general of people that are not usually heard through their creativity and through their uh, their expression and 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 their communities. So I don't know what it is, but something's happening in terms of how my hope is defining itself. Uh, and I didn't have much of it. And I wouldn't say I'm optimistic, but I think people are, are generally pretty decent. I went to a block party yesterday around here and I'd never met my neighbors and I didn't think I was going to be in town, but it was happening right on this corner. I went out and met all my neighbors uh, and some I've already met before, a few I know. And it was just, you know, maybe 30, 40, maybe 50 people from the neighborhood I had never seen before. But it was like, it was people coming together of all different types, just, you know, having a piece of pizza, you know, watching kids play, talking, getting to know each other, uh, enjoying the, you know, there was a little booth about the historical neighborhood we live in. Uh, but uh, people being people, not being in their phones, not living uh, in relation to information that they've dumped in their head and that they has no bearing on their life. Just people, how you doing, Joe? Thank you for the tomatoes. Joe brought me some tomatoes the other day. He's like, I got more. You know, that means a lot. That's a lot 
more enriching. Even just that moment, that exchange is, uh, it's not, it doesn't feel as immediately satisfying to the monkey brain as clickbait, but to the heart, it makes a big difference. But I was excited to talk to A.O. Scott and a little intimidated, but, uh, but I read this piece he wrote a few weeks ago uh, called The Movies Are Back, But What Are Movies Now? That was in the New York Times, and it was very insightful and provocative. And I kind of read that, and that sort of got me excited to talk to him as well. So I reference that a lot during the conversation because there's a lot in there and there's a lot in the book. And I just wanted to I wanted to mix it up, man. I wanted to mix it up a little bit. Uh, he goes by the name Tony. You can read him regularly, regularly, regularly in the New York Times and his book, Better Living Through Criticism, How to Think About Art, Pleasure, Beauty and Truth is available wherever you get books. And this is me talking to him. <laughs> So uh, I guess you're wondering why I called you here today. <laughs> yeah, it's great to hear from you. I mean, it's it's uh, you know it's always been kind of one of these fantasies you have. Maybe uh, maybe I'll do the Mark Maron podcast one day. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've been thinking about it. Well, it's well, it's weird because as we enter you know the end of times, you know I'm <laughs> I'm trying to uh, you know kind of wrap my brain around certain things, and I don't. Like, I've been reading the book. I started the book, The Better Living Through Criticism. But I have to be honest with you. This is a battle I've had my entire fucking life mm-hmm. with the the notion of criticism. Yeah. And, you're, in this, and in this book, you're sort of putting it in a way that I can wrap my brain around. Because you don't know how long I've been looking at Northrop Fry's book on my bookshelf. <laughs> I mean, for decades. Yeah. You know, when an intellectual dude that I looked up to said, well, you want to know about criticism? You have to read The Anatomy of Criticism by Northrop Fry. And I've got, you know, heavily underlined first three or four pages, and then I'm out, Tony. I'm out. <laughs> well, that's that's a tough one. You know, I, I, I still have that, that, that book also on my shelf sort of, you know, um, looking at me and every once in a while I sort of steal a, a glance at it and feel a little embarrassed and ashamed that what I'm doing is is so far from that um ideal and I mean I think I love that book but it is a book by someone who has who seems to have read absolutely everything and just has it all at his fingertips yeah. you know um yeah from the ancient Greeks to 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 modern poetry and he just like he synthesized it in this amazing way but that's you know that's not the only thing criticism is, I don't think. No, but then, okay, so then I've got uh, Walter Benjamin. That's how you say it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, I've got those books, and same thing. I'll get in them. I'll read them for about 10 pages, and I'm like, this has no bearing on my life. <laughs> this isn't helping me at all. And then i got to put that away. So there, those are the two things that, that I've been judging my entire intellectual adult life against, and I can't get through them. I can't get through them. And I and I guess I'm I'm this is just by by way of thanks for you to sort of breaking it down in an emotional and personal way in your book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess on on some level poetically, you know, you would see you know maybe Sontag and and Benjamin as the as the sort of modern the definers of modern cultural criticism. Um certainly son like certainly for me uh, just kind of growing up, Sontag was 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 a big one. Um, I just found the power of her mind, and this is what I think the key for me to criticism is, and what what attracts me to it as a reader, and maybe also as a 
as a writer is to be in the presence of someone else thinking. So you feel like right. when, when you're reading a Susan Sontag essay, the the thing that's most um, kind of galvanizing and magnetic about it is watching her mind work, watching her sort of take a difficult writer or a difficult text or a problem of human existence or human consciousness or the ethics of photography and try to think it through, try to try to wrestle with it in an active and open-minded way. I never feel like she's just applying a set of principles um, that she already thought of. She's actually, you're, you're watching her work. You're watching her think. And in that way, that like in in the way you kind of construct your book and in the way you sort of advise people or or what I get out of it, that that active engagement with a text, a film, a piece of art, or even uh, you know some food mm-hmm. uh, is is really and connecting that to your heart and mind as a, a, a means by which you seek to understand and feel connected yeah. is really the the human activity of thought and 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 moving and moving the ideas forward. Exactly. Right? Uh, yes. No, that, 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 that you, you said it really, I think you said it better just then maybe than, than, than I did in the book. But it is, it's, it's to be actively engaged with our own experience and our own progress through the right, world. On, I mean, on all levels. Like today. Right. Every day. Like today, like, you know, it's just the, on, you know, the ongoing problem with um, avocados and tomatoes. Now, is that <laughs> a, a big problem? No. But like, are there any more good avocados left? Rarely. Tomatoes, mm. that's over, right? And how many cashews can one person eat in a day? But but the issue of avocados and tomatoes speaks to directly to the idea of of Disney and corporate occupation of of every part of our life, right? So, is it? Are there ever going to be good tomatoes again? I think we've let that go, don't you, Tony? Um, I you know I go back and forth. I I always try to be optimistic, and and I and about I wrote tomatoes. I wrote this about tomatoes, about avocados, about about movies, <laughs> Disney. about Disney, um, about you know about the human future and the future of the human imagination. Um, it it's a challenge, you know, and 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 since I wrote this book, it's been more and more of a challenge. I published this book uh, in I think February of 2016, um, right, and. It was very much kind of trying to to to, to strike a, a um a note of optimism and hope and a sort of idea that well if we can all just you know think and talk about what we see and experience and and sort yes. of devote ourselves to the work of figuring out individually and collectively the 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 meaning of our of our lives and the meaning of the things that we make to explain the world yeah. to ourselves everything will be great. Well, um, you put you're you're you have high expectations that if you, I don't know how many people you're expecting to get on board with this, but if it's uh, <laughs> Well, but, it's, but if it's if it's most people, I'm, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, no, I, I mean it's it's uh, you know ju- judging from the from the the royalty statements, it's maybe you know twenty or thirty people at this point. But <laughs> um, but that's you know th- that's, was it ever any more than that? That's the question I have because look, I just I read your piece that you wrote a couple of weeks ago about uh, the movies are back, but what are movies now in the New York Times? And, you know, whatever you were hoping for uh, in the book, it seems to be diminishing, Tony. I, it seems... Yes. I, 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 I feel like the light is going out. Well, that's, that's been the hard, the hard lesson uh, and the challenge, you know, because you don't... I, I don't want to 
I don't want to give up. Um, and I don't want to become nostalgic. I don't want to become one of these people. And there are many critics who are sort of take the stance of like, all the great stuff is behind us. You know, all the, all the great movies have been made. All the, the good songs have been written. You know, every, everything that, that, that human beings can, can achieve, um, in growing, maybe also in growing avocados and tomatoes. It's, it's over and we're just sort of going to play out the string. Um, and yeah, you can't, that can't be the case. And like, right. it's very hard for me, you're about, about the same age as me to distinguish that way of thinking from, is that, is that, are, can you rely on your perception or are you just becoming an old fuck? You know what I mean? Well, right. And, 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 and I think people of our generation, you know, grew up coming after these, these old, you know, younger old fucks. Um, and I was really sick of hearing about how, you know, oh, well, you yeah. weren't there, right? If, you know, you weren't, you weren't at Woodstock or you didn't, you know, um, you didn't go. Like we see, just missed it. You, we we just, just missed that it. was the worst, right? You just missed, oh, you yeah. didn't, you know, you weren't at the Newport <laughs> Folk Festival when Bob Dylan plugged in or you didn't see, you know, La Ventura on its opening week. Weekend or I mean all of this stuff and um, I, you know I grew up with a chip on my shoulder about that in in the in the later seventies and eighties. Oh, geez, so you, you must know? have been the, the fun guy at the parties, huh? Well, I was just sort of like I think like a lot of Generation X people, you know, I was just like, wait a minute, we could we could, you know why can't we do something to or as you know to to quote Emerson why why can't we have an original relationship to the universe? But like it's interesting that what built us intellectually was all stuff that that wave had crashed you know mm -hmm. from the 50s to 60s and and then you know i i imagine coming into your own mind in the 70s like even those films i mean that was all nostalgia already yeah it was all behind us and it was defining the future but we come up in a time of you know the you know the end of dis death of disco beginning of punk rock new wave and then whatever the hell was going on in, in movies in the 80s in the late seventies, which was but there kind was of, good stuff. There was there was good stuff. I mean, the eighties the eighties were was 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 not a was not a golden age of uh, of cinema. And and you're right. I mean, I all of the great movies of the seventies I saw late. You know, I saw um, yeah. Either on, I saw them on VHS. like a month ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, now you can see them on on the Criterion Channel. But like, I would see them. You know, at at like the the Campus Film Society or or at the 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 repertory house in my hometown. So, you know, whether it was Nashville or Mean Streets or, or, right, you know, Chinatown, right. um, yeah. all of those movies definitely came late to them. It wasn't, it wasn't while that wave was, uh, was breaking. But w one of the things that I, that I tried to talk about in the book and tried to kind of get, um, challenge a little bit, but also to say is, is part of the human experience of, of living in history and living in relation to culture and art is that you very often feel it's very rare, very few generations and very few people don't feel like they came too late. You know, that, that, that they always feel like they, I, I, I think, I think they always, I mean, there's that, you know, that Woody Allen movie midnight in Paris where he keeps going back right. in time and in, right. in every, you know, he goes back to the twenties and everyone in the twenties is talking about the 1890s and he goes back to the right, 1890s right. and it's an infinite regress. Um, it was always just a little bit better. Well, that enforces your argument r really in, in the book that, you know, if you, if that's the position you're in, that, that it all happened before, the pressure is on you to continue the conversation either creatively or critically yeah. uh, to move things forward, that it's going to be your reaction. So if you don't surrender to nostalgia and you're aggravated, you, there's a good chance you'll move the, 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 the pin forward. Right. I, I think that's right. And I, and I think that that's how, 
you know, often how artists work and, and it's sort of how artists function as critics so that you think at, at any point in history, if you're a poet or a musician or, or, or a filmmaker or a writer or a painter, you might think that there's no room for you. You might look and say, okay, everything's been done where, because in a way at any moment it is complete. Right. Like there's not, there, there, there's no room for you until you make that room, until you sort of, um, yes, work through your relationship to the earlier stuff and, and do your own thing. Right. And then sadly, when you make that room, that doesn't guarantee anyone's going to visit the room. But at least, you know, (laughs) that like I've cut out this port. I have my place. Right. And uh, you're all welcome to come. And, you know, I hope a few of you do. Right. And then hopefully one person will come that'll go out and go like this guy is doing something and then bring a few more people. in. Exactly. I I think that's that's a that's a very I mean, obviously, there are. There are artists it. with, with, yeah, with, there are artists with, with more grandiose ambitions than that. But fundamentally, that's sort of it. It's like somebody, you know, notices what you did and thinks it's interesting. Um, and, and yeah, and maybe tell someone else about it. And, uh, but I, I guess like, you know, I'm, what I'm coming up against and I, and maybe I, you know, the conversation that I wanted to have or that we're having, which is good, is just that I, it's hard to, de- de- to decipher relevance. You know, because a lot of the models that you and I came up with and that that did define those things. And I think you speak about this in the book. You know, they, they don't they don't they don't seem to have it as much. And this mm-hmm. gets back to the argument around, you know, is it because we're older or mm-hmm. is it, mm-hmm. and that the language has changed or the right. paradigm has shifted or what? And that, you know, that us talking about, you know, uh, film or books or art, you know, is something dated and that we're just not fluid enough in right. the ways of uh the the way the youth culture works but i don't know that's really true i was i dated a painter for years and it's like when you look at that world and then you realize all of a sudden that the the world of painting and the world of that kind of art has always been this sort of you know hobby landscape for the wealthy and that you know its relevance in terms of really kind of having any social implications that matter Mm -hmm. is almost zero Mm -hmm. uh it was really heartbreaking to me to see how the art world worked yeah yeah and so like so that to me is sort of like there's no painting that's going to save us now. Mm-hmm. So and then in, in your piece from a couple of weeks ago, when you really talk about what I thought was interesting and I've ta- I've gotten myself in trouble about like you have the, the authoritarian nature yeah. of, of the Marvel Universe. You, you literally say in, in so many words that that business of motion pictures has has infected malignantly everything else to the point where people like you have to reckon with it critically. Well, right. And, and, and the thing that frustrates me, um, and, and it's very easy to be misunderstood, I think, when you make that kind of argument, because you, you, you get cast in the position of, you know, you just hate these things that everybody likes. You're, you know, um, or you're With a the snob. Yeah, about the Marvel. Like, you don't, you know, I, I hate comic books or I hate superheroes or I, I, you know, I'm a, a, a snob about popular culture. But how about you're, a, you're, what about you're a grown up? You see, this <laughs> is like, you, when you go back to like, how have we accepted th- this was like done over the last decade, the almost complete complete infantilization of 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 grown ass men yeah you know that like i i enjoyed your piece about you know when you were having marital problems and you were playing poker because like <laughs> that you know that that your assessment of you know who am i as a man and what defines right. that so and which right. is the other problem with the generation we're from and where we're at now is like you know we don't even know how to dress like fucking grown-ups so you, you <laughs> 
they, that there just seemed to be a time where grown-ups had a lot more grace in the world. So yes. if we're walking around with a, a sort of nebulous identity of what it means to be a mature person in the culture we live in, how are we not just going to be you know ripe to be filled with this justification of of comic books as being passive? Well, yeah, I, I think I think I think you put your finger on it, and and it, because it is about um, kind of passivity and obedience and assent as as models of participation you know so it's like i'm a fan you know so that i mean i don't i don't know what that means i don't know what kind of as you say grown up identity that that is um, it's not passive i'll tell you that well, it's not passive <laughs> that's that's true but it is, but it is but it is kind of disciplined and and right. it's, uh, and, it's subservient and, and it's, subservient and obedient right, right. and i feel like the model both of the production and consumption and marketing of these movies, which is brilliant. You have to say this is, this is quite an achievement that, that Disney and Marvel have done because they went from going from making sort of sequels. So here's a movie and then yeah. next year there'll be this movie and then, the, and then they started knitting them all together. So you have to stay all the way to the end of the credits to see, you know, if, if Scarlett Johansson or, or Samuel L. Jackson or someone else is going to, is going to show up because that's the Easter egg. So, so you're, and you won't fully appreciate this movie unless you get that and get to that, which means you're committed to watching all of the other movies, which means that a lot of your mind and your consciousness and your intelligence is going to be devoted to, to the, the, the trivia of this imaginary universe. And your duty, your job as a fan will be to consume as much of it as they give you. And they'll keep giving you more of it on their different platforms. So now there will be series on, on, on Disney plus and there will be feature films and it will just kind of grow and metastasize. And, um, I just worry that it, that it, that it, that it takes up so much of the ecosystem and so much of the time. I mean, look at, we're talking about it now, right? Um, that it's a, a sort of total domination. But I, but you're talking about it and I'm sitting here. I've not seen any of them. You know, I, I don't, I don't know how, but I can't even force myself to do it, you know, and I've been critical of it. And certainly in my last special, I, 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 I likened it to a belief system. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which it is, yes. you know, cause when you like, you know, one of the defining, uh, uh, writers of my particular, you know, uh, perception of reality is, uh, Ernest Becker, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, the denial of death and, you know, right. uh, and, and the idea of, of what belief means, you know, that resonates with me that yeah. you know, people need to feel part of something yeah. in order to have a sense of self, uh, you know, but there, you know, but you know, most people aren't, are, are, are willingly shallow enough to just, you know, go on feeling and reaction as opposed yeah. to yeah. sort of like, what am I really doing here? Well, and, and, and this belief system, I mean, the content of the, of the Marvel belief system is a sort of perfect mirror of, of the status quo or of a sort of a, a kind of, you know, global libertarian ideal. So you, you have these, these, these super empowered elite, yeah. which is where all the drama takes place. And their job is to save or to help the, the, the actual public, um, the population of the, of the universe or of the world in any of these movies is either, um, you know, is in a role of potential victims to be, to be saved. They have no, there is no agency. There is no democracy. It's about what the Avengers, it's about what this sort of, you know, Davos class, group of um of superheroes of, of superheroes many of whom are either you know deities or billionaires or everyone's fantasy every every sort of like elon musk family fantasy yeah. of, of of sort of what it is to be like you know 
an intergalactic hotshot. Um, right. And so these are the people who we're supposed to care about and we're supposed to be rooting for and who we just assume that their interests are our interests. But 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 like in, in, in speaking about this last piece you wrote that like my concern, you know, what I the idea I've been trying to explore around this is that, you know, we and you do it in the piece uh, in the in the Times, the movies are back piece is that, you know, we've all been, you know, sort of pimped out by the algorithm, you know, that right. we're all algorithm whores. Yeah. And, and, and it becomes uh, not just critical thinking, but you have to be you know, actively protect yourself mm-hmm. from uh, you have to mind your mind. Right. Uh, in, in an active way, because there's this weird thing happening to even smart people. And I don't know if you've noticed it. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe you can you can inform me that that even some smart people have become painfully shallow in terms of their lack of engagement and their irresponsibility around thinking their own thoughts. And yeah. I don't know what you do about that, because like if you just allow your brain to be a recording device of of bits and pieces you pick up here and there that are just floating around in your brain because uh, your ability to think is so shattered by your engagement with your device, uh, you know, what do you got to do to to sort of ground yourself? And that's sort of, I guess, you know, you wonder if the tomatoes are ever coming back or is it just, you know, is it the is it the jam and Soylent Green? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and, and it's 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 very scary. I mean, because I I don't in in that piece, you know, really engage with because it's not it's not what I what I'm supposed to be writing about the 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 really scary and sinister aspects of what you're talking about, which is which is how you know, and there are so many stories of this anecdotally, and 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 everybody I think knows somebody who who kind of went off the deep end or went into the rabbit right. hole, right? Who started watching uh, of YouTube, one kind or another of one kind yeah. or another, and and right. um you know. St- surrendered their critical thinking or had their critical thinking overwhelmed by um you know by by disinformation and conspiracy theories and all kinds of of stuff that's out there and then it, and then it becomes like critical thinking like if you're not careful with that switch in your brain it right. becomes the false equivocating switch well that's what it is yeah it's 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 and it, and it's it's like a sort of a, a a virus so to speak that 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 replicates critical thinking so you know people will say you know i know this because i did my own research right i did right. my own research so i know that that you know, the vaccine will magnetize my blood and my keys will stick to my forehead because I did my own research, which is a sort of a weird, perverse, upside down version of critical thinking. Because, well, I'm being skeptical. I'm not believing what everyone tells me. I'm, I'm thinking for myself. And that is what really what what I find, you know, so overwhelming and just flat out terrifying as someone who yeah. kind of sets a certain amount of, of, of stock in and maybe too much stock in people's rational abilities, the, the sort of the, the intellectual capacities that we all have as something that can, you know, can protect us and can save us and can improve things. And to see it, to see that almost reversing itself is, um, is chilling. But, 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 but how could it, I mean, it's like what you did write about in, in the piece is that, you know, are we able to, is there any way we can defend ourselves against this, you know, tidal wave or tsunami or 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 your sandblasting right. of the entertainment industrial complex, right? So 
But what I've started to notice is that the, the brain is very soft and people are very lost. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and, you know, a lot of times if it feels like thinking, they'll take it. And, and, and it turns out that most people aren't we're never really capable of critical thinking. And the idea that, that it's an epistemic problem, because if you don't have any barometer for the integrity of truth, I mean, where the fuck does this go? Right. And it just makes everybody very easily led. And it's not going to be great, you know, like because the broad broader problem around what you're talking about it seems to me is that there's an active in, you know anti-intellectual push going on you know on the fascistic level which is a reality in this country now but also with you know smart people yeah. who, who yeah. are dismissive because they're doing their own research mm-hmm. i mean that 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 really troubles me quite a lot because i i'd always thought you know that i mean i i was never fully optimistic or, 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 you know, sort of utopian that, that thinking or, or, or criticism or whatever we're, we're talking about or whatever we're calling it would be strong enough to withstand the forces of, um, demagoguery and ignorance and, and stupidity. But I always thought my, my kind of idea of history was that, you know, from, from, from era to era, from decade to decade, from century to century, it's a draw. You know, you can fight yeah. it to a draw. So there will be right. just enough of reason and, and good sense and, and, and intellectual possibility to, to kind of to keep it going that the forces of ignorance wouldn't, you know, um, entirely take over everything. And now I just, I, I, I still want to believe that. That's still sort of the bedrock of my faith in a way as a, as a, as a, as a thinking person. But I just don't know. I can't, you know, I don't know why I, I, I have that faith in a way. Um, or, 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 you know, what, what, what else? Well, I mean, well, then, well, you have it because, you know, you're, you're, a, a believer in the, the progress of, you know, creativity, art, you know, intellectual revelation, you, you know, the, the, the the higher good of humanity i mean you know if you if if that goes away you, you know i don't know what you're going to do in that attic you know what i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> you know but but i am i deal with this shit day to day because you know we allow ourselves our brains to be to be blown out by it but i mean there are but even the the weird things these signals of hope and i think you've i think you've sort of you addressed it a bit in this piece as well the, the the signals of hope are 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 sort of devastating. <laughs> like I think that one of the things coming out of this pandemic that we might see again is that you know it, it might have killed the happy ending for most practical purposes mm-hmm. for a little while, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm in the middle of watching uh, Underground Railroad, yeah. Uh, you know, which is relentless, but but seemingly necessary, yeah. But yeah. but 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 the only thing that carries that is the. The finesse and the the filmic uh, intelligence yep. of of Jenkins, yep. because it would be you know it would be torture mm-hmm. if if mm-hmm. it wasn't handled like like he's handling it and and sort of really exploring these allegories and you know fun yeah. you know founded in these you know grotesque realities, but also like with a movie like like Stillwater, I mean that that's a morally ambiguous bit of business mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's like, that's a new thing. I haven't seen a, a mainstream movie do that in a while. Have you? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good example. Those are both good examples. And I think that there are um, definitely narratives and, and, and films and, um, and novels and, and, and stories that are, that are doing it very much in the way that you say, because there is, we do need we have a kind of a, an an appetite and a and a hunger and a need for 
um, beauty and tenderness. Um, at, you know, it, we, we can't just confront, um, the terribleness of everything all the time head on, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think Underground Railroad is a great example because, um, the story, the material, the historical material and the way that it's distilled, both in Colson Whitehead's novel and in, and in Barry Jenkins' adaptation of it is, is so harsh and so terrible and so almost, you know, overwhelming to, to, to an idea you would have of, of, of sort of the, the goodness of humanity. And yet there is, and I think this is so true of how Barry Jenkins approaches his stories and approaches film and approaches the, 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 the medium of visual storytelling. There's such tenderness. There's such kind yes. of love for his characters and between his characters. And he's so attentive to beauty and to just kind of quiet moments that happen between people. Yes. Um, in a way that it's not comforting you. It's not sentimentalizing or softening anything, but it's just reminding you that that's part of it too. That, 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 that part of the history and part of the story and part of who we are, um, as, as a, as a species, as a civilization, whatever is that it lives in those impulses too, in those impulses toward, um, toward kindness or, or empathy or beauty. And that's, and right. And that's what's at stake. Yes. Yes. That, 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 you know, that, that, that's a good point. You know, at the core of all this grotesque horror, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and complete, you know, uh, you know, ignorant violence is, yeah, are those moments, but, but the fragility of it, and it, there's something that the heart wants, but, you know, the, the heart wants it to, you know, like, I, I'm only halfway through and I hope she gets a break, but I don't, I'm not, but, you know, but in the long, in the big picture, no one does. Right. And that the only thing that, you you know, you have to go on is is what you're talking about, is that belief that that matters and, and the tenderness. And, and, and I, I imagine that the reason why you have hope is because, you know, you, you, you deal in movies. That, you know, like, you know, outside of the industry and outside of, 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 you know, what it implies, uh, for our, the future of, of, of thinking and, and, and culture, uh, that, you know, m- you know, movies engage your empathy. They engage your yes. hope. They, yeah, so even if they're manipulative, even if they're cartoons, even if they're superhero movies, they, yeah, you know, they're moving you through something that feels human. Yes. And, 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 and they're, and they're, um, most of the time, getting you to care about something and getting you to care about people, um, you know, who, who, who aren't real, who you maybe have no reason to care about, but movies. And I think narrative generally, I think it's true of, 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 of novels too. Um, yeah. they, and, and it's even true. I mean, it's true of, of, of TV shows and sitcoms. I mean, my, my, yeah. um, my son, when he, when he was a, a, a teenager, he would watch the same shows. He would watch his favorite shows like Scrubs again and again and again. You know, he would just watch it. It was, you could, it was when you would, were starting to be able to get them like on DVD and, and you yeah. didn't have to wait around for reruns or syndica- syndication. And, and, and my wife and I were like, what are you doing? Like, haven't you seen that, you know, five times already? Why are you watching it again? And he said, well, this is like, these are people I like who I want to hang out with. And this is how I, you know, I, I, I go and visit them and spend time with them. And, and narrative and representation and art does that too. It gives us, you know, um, imaginary friends. It gives us people who are different from us, whose lives we yeah. otherwise couldn't imagine that we yeah. can, um, that we can relate to and understand and, and care about. So we're, we're happy when they're happy. We're, we're, we're sad when they're hurt. We don't want anything bad to happen to them. Um, yeah. It's extraordinarily powerful. And, um, and, and I think you're right that just because every, you know, 
often enough to, um, to, to, to keep me from, you know, quitting, quitting my job and, and, and moving up to the woods full time. I'll see something. I'll see a story that, that reminds me of that. It's like, oh, yes, you, this, whatever else is going on at the corporate level and at the technological level, this is, um, an, an, an art form that can tell these stories in this, in this way that's so, so immediate and so intense and so interesting and so beautiful. Well, I thought that, like, you know, it was a, pr- a pretty, I, for me, I, it, there, there was something, you know, kind of impressive ab- about the, the best picture category of the last Oscars, mm-hmm. you know, and not so much the Oscars presentation, but 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 nonetheless, that th- those stories were unique, uh, human, uh, diverse and, and encouraging. Yeah. You yeah. know, for the most part. Yeah, which was which was an amazing thing is that, you know, and I've tried to deal with this on stage is that there's been a real impact, I think, uh, in the the sort of integration and and embracing of diversity within the fictional realm. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to cross over. (laughs) No, but 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 it has. And 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 it's exciting and it gives you uh, stories also that. Um, I, I think this this crop of of of, of Oscar movies um, they also felt very very kind of honest in a way. Just thinking of like of of, yeah. of the the father and Anthony Hopkins and how this is like oh this is an, an an honest look at this this very very painful situation that so many families so many people um, have have gone through and it's being presented yeah. in a way that is is painful and devastating and but also honest and it's the honesty that that keeps it from being utterly kind of, you know, making you despair. And, and, and I right. think there, there's, there's something similar going on in Nomadland. I mean, objectively, this is about just a really harsh, um, terrible reality of people, you know, who, who, who have lost their retirement and, 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 and who are living on the road and, and, you know, working minimum wage jobs when they should be just taking it easy after, after a, a lifetime of hard work. And, the movie is is does take a, a a hard look at all of that, but also holds on to this this kind of idea of um, of a human possibility within that. Oh yeah, and also like you know the the adaptive nature of human beings and the the, the seemingly I think what gets lost a lot in in just when we live in the information and not in in the life that we have is that. You know that people do like people, yes. <laughs> and and you know instinctively, you know, like I always used to notice that about living in New York City, that no matter how bad the information was on how people treat each other, if somebody went down on the street in New York, yep. people were there. Yeah, like yeah. you know, somebody was taking charge. People were concerned. Someone was clearing the way. It was almost like a a, a sort of a a, a a ballet of reaction that mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. found their place to find the space to give the person the help they need in yeah. that moment. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think, I mean, I, I felt that way being being in New York, you know, at the worst part of, of, of COVID in the spring of 2020. You know, I was, oh, yeah? I was very glad to be there. I was, I felt, you know, um, vulnerable and terrified, obviously, because of the virus, but also... Um, protected by, by exactly that sort of that, that civic fabric, um, that's there, that, 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 that people are, you know, in a way don't have a choice. If you have that, that, that many people, um, you know, sort of that, that densely packed. But I mostly found it and, and still find it just in terms of conscientiousness about, you know, about, 
about how to behave um, and about sort of right. what what you owe to the people around you. You know, that that right. it's not all about you and your freedom and your comfort and your immediate needs, but you're 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 part of some kind of collective civic um, grouping and you have some obligations and, 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 and responsibilities. And I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want to overstate it. I mean, obviously people in New York are just as kind of, um, selfish or, or, or clueless or, um, or inconsiderate as anybody else. But there is nonetheless a kind of a, a civic fabric in, in, in that place that held, you know, and it, it held at, at, uh, at 9-11, it held at, Sir, at, at Hurricane Sandy, you know, and it held, yeah. um, in, in, uh, in COVID. And that's, um, you know, that, that's, that's not a small thing. And that's the, the interesting thing to me uh, in, in, in relation to that is that that is exactly what's at risk culturally it because you you know in in what we're talking about in terms of how people are sort of cornered in their isolation in a false sense of community by uh being their desires being mined by the algorithm and and their reality and perception being guided by by choices that ultimately are are consumeristic is that you know any sort of civic interaction I think is even rare mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. you know, that when you see people like, you know, Matt Gates or, or uh, the other one green, you know, running around, th- these are elected people who were designated to represent something that the community might've wanted. And you look at them going like that. What is the, Then what is this clown show? So, <laughs> so it, it, it strikes me that people don't have, don't understand civic responsibility in an, in an intellectual way or in a, in a governmental way. They, there's no understanding of it. And they're the ones that are, are, are criticizing the cities like mm-hmm. you know the elites mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. cities where we live among people we're not you know cornered in our suburban cul-de-sacs or living you know in a way that that the only community you have is a a, a mega church you go to because you feel like you have to i don't know man it, it's just like i don't know how to wrap my brain around what's happening culturally because that that's what is that is being lost and it's, you you address it in this piece is that by these these cloistering you know of people you, you, you know because of of how they're guided by algorithms like i don't know where we how, how do we get community again i don't know well that's 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 a, a really important question and it's one that that i don't think i quite addressed um in in that piece maybe as 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 fully as i as i could have or 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 will um at at another point because there is this idea that um and it's a complicated idea it's an idea with with a history that 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 is is you know has a lot of twists and turns and 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 detours but there there is this idea i think i hope um yeah that that culture is this sort of participatory thing right and, and I've often believed this about, um, American popular culture in particular. One of the great strengths of it is that it does seem to have this ability to, to cross other kinds of, um, tribal and identity and ideological and political lines. So that, right. you know, if, if in, in a way it we did, we, it did, it I, did. I hope. No, I, I mean, I think what one thing that I worry about very much now is that it also is being polarized. So that it's like we're going to go see, you know, red movies and blue movies and listen to to red music and and, and blue music. And well, the I see I, it. I, I see it in comedy. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, and I'm try. You try to push back, but there is this sort of like woke versus unwoke business mm-hmm, going mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. in terms, of, and that's and that's at the core of the cultural dialogue. And a lot of the people who consider themselves, you know, pushing back 
you know, uh, uh, against this wokeness, mm-hmm. you know, are easily turned out by uh, right wing ideologues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like, even the 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 sort of premise of like, look, we should have you know the right to say anything without being you know socially crucified. You know, I agree that that's true, but and I also you know agree that you know you know sometimes language evolves, and you have to do that out of respect for. You know the the what you're talking about the collective, uh, but that you know to to sort of weaponize this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of hold ground is part of something that you know I, I I don't know why we don't speak about it more, but you know we're up against a fairly organized fascistic movement that that has you know momentum, yeah, and 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 I I don't know you know how you speak of it properly but that seems to be what's happening yeah i mean and i'm curious what what you said about comedy because i've i've felt i mean i'm 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 very much an outsider in that world but i'm sort of fascinated by it and have wondered kind of what what kinds of of um of arguments and 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 schisms are 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 happening because there is this idea yeah that that's a sort of a a venerable idea in, in, in comedy, at least since the sixties is that, you know, the, the comedians are sort of the truth tellers and that, and that your job is to, to attack the pieties and, and break the taboos and to sort of to go to the places. You're almost sort of the unconscious, almost the sort of the, the id of the, of the, right. of the, of the culture. And so the people sitting there can laugh at you saying things that they would never say, say themselves. But it, it, it is interesting how that idea has taken this very, um, kind of harsh political turn in in uh just just well, just it's, recently. well it's a threat of cancel culture mm. so so what's happened is is that you know how comedy functioned before there's also like something going on around the you know the model of fandom that you're talking about within comedy where you're getting a lot of people gravitating towards the sort of free thinking zone right. that we talked about earlier Uh, that, you know, are are really anything but that, but (laughs) don't really know what that means. But they're fundamentally not necessarily comedy fans. They're they're mobilized by, you know, a a sort of like this new kind of, um, you know, lifestyle uh, approach of, you know, alpha maleness. Right. But nonetheless, there is a front Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. and the problem with it is, is that they're uncancelable because the people, there's enough of them to sustain their their universe right so right. like they don't have to answer to cultural appropriateness or or even be sensitive or or sympathetic to people struggling who are right. or, who are uh, marginalized because it's like you know we don't fucking need them right you're we've got our people right and and i think also that any criticism i think um or or any attempt to sort of um I mean, and we saw this with the 45th president, any any attempt to sort of um, call them out or criticize them fuels the resentment and 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 is 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 more kind of evidence of you see, you know, who's who's out to get me, who's against me. And and that sort of defensiveness and and and, and resentment is is what is kind of um, uh empowering and exciting um it's hilarious to those to figures that's, and their that, fans yeah that, well that's what they think comedy is right you know so so there's 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 not only is there no nuance to it but it might not even be comedy it, it is you know <laughs> jingoism right, right? and uh, uh, when there's a fine line between a rally and a comedy show uh, <laughs> there something is has gone askew but yeah, yeah but yeah. The, but but buffoonery in fascism 
it, it's like I was thinking about this recently. Almost all of them are fucking buffoons. I mean, like when you look at them, you know, the contemporary ones and ones of oh yeah, Mussolini, Hitler, uh, you know, uh, the guy, what's his name, Belisandro in Brazil, the guy, uh, the, uh, the the whatever his name is, the guy in Turkey, the guy in the mm-hmm. Philippines. Mm-hmm. They're they're mm-hmm. little men. And mm-hmm. Trump, they're they're clowns. They're mm-hmm. they're literally like they look like comedic archetypes. Mm-hmm. Yet these are the people that mobilize. And I can't. That's one of my 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 recent problems. It's like, why do they all fit that that? How are they the leaders? Right. Because they're right. physically, mentally, behaviorally buffoons. Yet they're they're speaking for. The, the 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 grievance it's the grievance yes yes yeah no and, and i think that's right and 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 that that is 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 part of their charisma i mean i i was uh a few months ago for when i was working on another piece i i, I rewatched um face in the crowd you know the oh Ilya kazan movie and that's a great example of that because that that guy is is who andy griffith plays so brilliantly lonesome roads um is exactly what you're describing he's he's a clown and everybody knows he's a clown and the 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 patricia neal and walter Matthau characters who are the sort of the the elite intellectuals who put him on the radio and then on tv and like oh we can control this guy and the people love him and then he turns into this he turns out to be this monster precisely because you know, they think they understand the joke. Um, right. But, which is that he is a joke, but his understanding of the joke, of the way he is a joke, is that I'm tying myself in knots here, is that he's not a joke at all, or that it's exactly, exactly. the, the, exactly. the like, line yeah. between there, there, there may be humor, there may be comedy, but there's no irony in it. But but yeah but 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 the, the but the core of that guy is, is he knew it was a hustle yeah that from the yeah. from the get go you know he was like you know I'm gonna get what I need yes. with this like this sick charm I have yeah and I'm gonna fuck I'm gonna I'm, you know make me as big as possible because I'll take all of it right but that you, even with that dumb device in that movie of the audience simulator yeah. that you know like it looks so stupid as a machine him sitting there playing with that thing yep. was yep. like menacing right yes 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 and then I mean in the movie and where that movie kind of doesn't go far enough or, or, or can't see all the way um, to the end of its presence is, of course, the way that he's destroyed, the way that he's brought down, which is the way that McCarthy was brought down. That in the end, when the people discover they what contempt they, yeah. he has for them, when, when, when the audience hears him saying that he thinks they're stupid and he's taking advantage of him, they're going to turn on him and reject him and that'll be it. But that's actually not not how it's it, not, no, not it applicable now. No, because uh, yeah. they're they're well. Well, you you have to account for religious religiosity. You know, mm. Christian eschatology. You know how that sort of weaves into uh, QAnon. Uh, you know, and and just some sort of strange nihilism that you know that the the core of patriotism now is having the right to die like an idiot. So, mm. <laughs> like you know, like I'm not taking it. Right. right. But but with comedy. And I think it speaks to some of the stuff you were speaking to is that like, you know, as somebody who's in the business and I've had this problem before, but not not in a political way, like, you know, that the business has become so integrated through all the outlets that you sort of talk about. There's a there's one paragraph in in the in the piece where you're talking about uh, how, how it extended into, you know, news, everything, you know, that everything becomes sort of not not transparent. But but there there there's no boundaries to anything. So so as somebody as a comic, if I make some fun of 
like say a Joe Rogan or an Adam Sandler, that somehow or another it's being interpreted as a personal problem mm-hmm. with with my contemporaries based on my bitterness or my whatever. Whereas like, you know, all of a sudden it's like you're you're neutered in your ability to be a cultural critic because it's like you but you know that guy. Everyone's <laughs> in on the the behind the scenes thing. I and I remember being viscerally upset when they had sort of like uh, when the first uh, sort of, you know, Hollywood news shows started happening. It's like, mm-hmm. why are they, they they're going to ruin the, the, the mystery. <laughs> you know, if we, you know, if, if tabloidism becomes mainstream, the cultural dialogue is all right. tabloidism. It's like there's no mystery to anything. And if everyone can sort of be be sold a kind of a, a, a fantasy of insiderdom, you know, which which right, I right. think um, which I think that 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 social media also allows and and encourages. So everybody is everybody is already all all wised up and cynical and knows what's going on and and sort of, you know, in on the con in a way. I think that's how people get get really um deeply conned, you know, is by yeah, thinking no, it's, it's totally, by thinking that they're not the marks. Totally right, exactly. It, it it it's that it's 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 an informed shallowness. Mm-hmm. Really what happens is that they they don't realize they're being suckered. Like all the free thinkers, it's just like what scares me about their particular markdom is that what they're being suckered into is the complete you know, objectification of the other, which never right. leads anywhere good. No, <laughs> it's like, no, right. And that line is is too it's too porous for me at this point in time. Like you know, I was talking to um, to that guy, that writer Beatty, the guy who wrote the sellout. Oh, uh, Paul Beatty, Paul, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm, I was just sort of like, you know, I I just hope I know. When it's time to go, you, you know what I mean. Like you know, you don't want to be the Jew who's like Hitler's going to work with us. You know, like <laughs> you know what I mean. So I, I, I don't know, but you know, there, there's something about federalism that provides some weird sense of protection. Like, you know, who cares if the the the, the Midwest balkanizes? Yeah, I don't go there anyways. You know, so I don't know. I, I don't know what happens, but 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 what spoke to me about what you're doing, and, and certainly in this piece recently, was just that. You know, we we aren't a collective anymore culturally. There is nothing right. holding the culture together. And, you know, when something like, you know, what's happening in comedy happens, the comedian that you were talking about from the 60s, who's the truth teller, that guy, like, he got co-opted. So mm-hmm. there, you know, you can't tell that other truth. Like, when in my last special, I, I kind of dropped a throwaway line about the monoculture of free thinkers, right? <laughs> so that... That's what that is, right? Yeah. So if you call it out like that, they're just going to act like Marvel fans. Is mm-hmm. what you're saying mm-hmm. about it's not absorbing the criticism. Right. They're clearly an army of people. Yeah. Who yeah. are myopic in their worship of a particular way of thinking that is anything but funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have to push back. You have to push back. I, I think you do. I mean, I, I, I think as frustrating and demoralizing as it is, you, you, you have to sort of soldier on and, you know, um, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I'm certainly going to keep doing what I'm doing and just sort of like write as if and talk as if there is a reasonable person on the other end who is, who is kind of, um, interested in, um, having a conversation and exchange of ideas who doesn't necessarily agree. You know, I, I, I don't, right. I don't, I don't ever really particularly care about being agreed with, but you, 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 you want to think that, that, that there are other thinking people. You don't, you don't, I mean, the, the, the true craziness is to think that you're the last, you know, the last sane man on earth, right? Why, why'd you do this for a life? 
<laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's it it just I just kind of happened in a way as 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 you know. I mean, I was always interested in writing, and I was always interested in in reading. I really was always interested in criticism. I mean, it it people don't necessarily believe Wait, it. Starting but in college, well, you grew start, up no, in even that? before that. Like I, I, I how, kind of when how I, were you hip to it? When I grew up, just just reading magazines and 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 newspapers. You know, like I think my parents subscribed to the New Yorker and uh, had the New York Times around. But then I think for me, what really the 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 breakthrough was I started reading Rolling Stone in the late seventies. Yeah, because um, I was really into Hunter? music. Yeah, um, hundred times, but also like Grill Marcus and oh, yeah. and and you know um, Ellen Willis and Robert Christgau. They were they were like a lot of really great writers, and they were also they they were older and their tastes were not mine. Like I was really into to to punk rock and 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 new wave and and all which which Rolling Stone hated. Rolling Stone was sort of programmatically anti anti punk rock for a, for a very long time. Um but I think when I was maybe like 10 or 11, my parents got me for Christmas. I remember it very vividly like the Rolling Stone Illustrated History of Rock and Roll, which was a, yeah, an anthology of critical essays on and I read it cover to cover, I think more than I've ever read any other book. And I like looked at the discographies and I went and, 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 and bought the records and I, and I argued like I had big problems with a lot of what they said about, you know, about the Velvet Underground or about David Bowie or about, about punk. Right. And that just sort of got, but, but that sort of stimulated this idea that, oh, you could, you can care about something and want to argue about something. And, a way to live is to be, you know, surrounded by other people who care about those things and want to argue with, with you about them. And, right. and that was just sort of an ideal. And I, and I think that, that all of my, my reading and my kind of fantasy life after that was, was sort of about that idea that whether it was like those rock critics or, or, you know, the New York intellectuals in the, in the, right. in the fifties or 70s. whoever it was, yeah. a bunch of people sitting around arguing, you know, passionately with their friends about stuff that maybe everybody outside of the room thought was was trivial or was garbage that seemed to me like the 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 ideal right and it also seems to me like you know from reading that piece you wrote a few years ago about poker or and just about you know how you grew up that in order to sort of integrate because you moved around so much you had to be able to sort of kind of read the room of you know the maleness you were up against <laughs> yes yeah no i was like I, I i was i was always the new kid so i was always got you know bullied and beaten up and i had to i had to learn i was not you know i was never going to be physically imposing um yeah so I, I i i had to learn to sort of to to adapt and to and to and to think on my feet and yeah and to, and to sort of and to figure stuff out figure out well right. how does so, yeah, how does what this do you do work? with that Either right. you become a, you know, if you use that talent to become a salesman or you <laughs> use that talent to continue judging. Yes, to continue judging and and say, okay, I can, you know, I can, I can see through this. This is what, you know, this is what these people think they're doing, but maybe this is what they're really doing. And, and I did, you know, it was a sort of a, a, a long kind of, um, zigzagging route. I went to, um, I went to graduate school and studied that kind of criticism for a while. You know, Which I was, kind? I, I was in just the sort of the Northrop Fry, you know, uh, sort of literary yeah. theory kind. Um, I was in a PhD program, uh, in English for very many years, not, you know, not writing a dissertation. And I started just kind of writing book reviews on the side, um, 
just so I could, you know, have a piece of writing that I could finish and that somebody might read. And, 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 and then just, you know, as, as often happens in, in journalistic and, and other careers, it was just sort of a series of accidents that got me to, um, did you finish your dissertation? I no, I didn't. <laughs> I wrote that criticism book instead. Can you present uh, that to them now? <laughs> I might, if any, if any of them are still alive, you know, maybe I'll, 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 I'll go down and say, okay, this is, this is it. Call me doctor. <laughs> you should. That was like one of the ways I knew that we were in trouble actually was, you know, in, in referencing punk rock was like, you know, when, when Trump became president, there's people going like, man, the punk rock now is going to really, I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Wait till the punk rock comes out from this. Right, right. What are you talking about? Oh, great. It's also, it's like, and and that's not how it works. It's just not how it works. It was just like so disturbing. But you have like, you have kids. I mean, yeah. do you find hope there? Do you do you think like we're going to be okay? Or are you like, they're in trouble? No, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of my kids. Um, my, I, my no, kids no, no, are, no. I mean, I'm just generation, yeah. generation. Yeah, no, in general, I mean, they're, they're, um, they're grown. They're, they're 25 and 22, um, and you know, and I, and I teach college students. I sort of have a side gig, um, and I'm very, I, I, I like this generation or these, these generations, um, oh, good. who, who, who get, you know, uh, who get a lot of shit, but, but I think that they're, um. You know, they're very sincere. They're very, I think they're angry about the right things. I think yeah. they are, um, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of creativity and, and sort of intellectual toughness, even though there's, there's a sort of reputation that young people have for being, you know, oversensitive and snowflakes and so on. I think, um, I, I think they're, they're a lot of them. A lot of the ones that I know are, 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 are thinking very hard about some difficult things and are in a situation, you know, that, that, our generations in a way have, have put them in, um, that they're facing some very, uh, you know, some very hard and serious choices and they're kind of not, I don't know. There's, 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 there's less bullshit to them maybe than, than, than to yeah. us. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Cause we were, you know, that's what got us through was bullshit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They might be like, you know, given that there's so much bullshit, maybe this generation is sort of like, they right. can see it. Right. This is a simulacra. The simulacra <laughs> yes. is, is bullshit, yes. you know? Yes. Right. So did you see pig? Did you see the movie pig? I haven't, I missed the movie pig. I'm, I'm, oh. I'm dying to see it. Have you seen it? I did. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, and I, and I, and I loved it. You know, I don't even know what, it was yeah. the first movie I saw out of quarantine yeah. Yeah. and I don't yeah. even know why. I think cause I, you know, that, just the idea that Nick Cage chose to do a movie about a guy that's got to get his pig back. I was like, how is that going to be bad? You know, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm dying to see it. Cause it's, I feel like it's a, it's a kind of a year for, um, for truffle cinema. There's this movie, this documentary called the truffle hunters about these Italian truffle hunting that, yeah. guys. Yeah. Which, which are sort of like real life, Northern Italian versions of this Nicolas Cage character, from what I've heard about Pig, in that well, I think you'll like it be because I think it's more of a it's 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 about it's about what what makes you know a quality life you know in light of profound grief. I really think yeah, it's about yeah, grief. I don't think yeah. it has anything to do with with truffles per se. <laughs> You know, but it, it, you know, like when I watched it, I had no idea what it was going to be about. Right, right. But it, it's, it's, it again, it's not, not unlike Stillwater that this is a movie that operates in sort of a 
filmic and, and poetic landscape that is at times reading as reality, but isn't mm. quite. Mm. Uh, and it, it, it is sort of uh, about, you know, about grief and about, you know, what, you know, what, what makes life worth living. You know, mm. it's good. I think you'll like it. I, I just haven't I seen anyone wait. read it that way. And the way the way these movies are promoted, that's the the the, the disconnect between like right. you know Stillwater. You saw Stillwater, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said to Damon, I said, uh, you know, I really was anticipating like you're not going to. This isn't a franchise thing, right? The, <laughs> right. This guy's not going to go on to. <laughs> No, that's what you up. think, right? You think, right. oh, this is this is this is this is he's doing the Liam Neeson, uh, you right. know, it's his it's his turn to be the to be the angry dad, yeah, yeah, and also with Pig, you're like, is this Deliverance? I mean, is it <laughs> you know, is it like what, what is this weird mountain shit? It ta- it really takes place in contemporary outside of contemporary Portland, yeah, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not some weird you know kind of hillbilly movie, right, 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 uh, yeah, I think you'll like it. I'll look forward to that one, yeah, for sure. It's great talking to you, man. It's been a pleasure. It's been really fun. Um, I, I, I hope we will. I hope we will again. It'd be, it'd be, yeah, it'd be man. Great. Isn't this what you were talking about? People need to do. I, I think so. Um, it certainly yeah. keeps me going. It's great. I, I really. It was great meeting you. And, and have Likewise. a good the rest of your day. You too. Take care. Hey, oh Scott. I thought I did good. I thought I hung in. Thought I did. I, 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 I feel all right. I, I didn't see as a competition, but. I just want to see if we jived. Uh, you can read him regularly, Tony Scott, A.O. Scott, uh, regularly in the New York Times. Uh, his book, Better Living Through Criticism, How to Think About Art, Pleasure, Beauty, and Truth, is available wherever you get books. Here we go. Here we go. Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere. Sammy's balls. Gone. R.I.P. Sammy's balls. <laughs>